Hi, I'm not Katie. Um, my name's Tommy. Um, I'm the pastor here. And uh, we have, uh, I've, I've been all week in Los Angeles at um, uh, what's called General Council. It's, it's our, our denomination is called the Christian Missionary Alliance. And every two years they gather somewhere else. And we, I'm a delegate and we vote on things and we pass laws and elect leaders and all that good stuff that has to happen. And so that's where I've been all week. And I've been out there uh, doing that, attending sessions and writing the Watermark 201 class, like finishing up the finishing touches on that. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about you guys being there. Um, uh, we, ha- we have a guest speaker this week um, who is uh, filling the pulpit, and, and he's good. His name is Daniel Esposito, and he is from Puerto Rico. I think I pronounced that right. See? There you go. See what I did? Um, uh, he was a YWAM missionary for about seven years. He served in about 13 different countries. He runs a, um, a, a nonprofit uh, ministry for, for multicultural youth called Boundless. He's the director of that. And... Uh, Let's see, master's in religion, specializing in philosophy and apologetics. It's not bad at all. From Southern Evangelical, right? All right. So um, he's speaking from Ephesians chapter 2. So uh, uh, pay attention, sit up, and, uh, and, and respect what he does because he's, he's really talented at it. So Katie's going to come out now. This reading uh, this morning is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses of sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is, a gift, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Morning, everyone. Put this here. Um, I'd like to first and foremost thank each and every one of you for coming out this morning. There's so many things you could have chosen to do, but you chose to be here in community in the house of the Lord um, with the family. I want to thank very much Pastor Tommy and his family for allowing me to come and, uh, and share the word and uh, break bread and be a part of this community this morning. I also want to give a special thanks to my blood brother, Sam Lee. He is Korean and I'm Puerto Rican. You may be wondering, where's the connection? Well, we go way back and, uh, and I know he's a part of this family and I thank so much him and his wife and his uh, children for the invite as well. Um, um, along with me, I have some of our uh, volunteers and members, uh, leaders for the, the Balanced Ministry, and I want to thank them as well um, very much. I mean, we couldn't do what we do without people like them either. And um, I have a very special person along with me as well, and uh, without her, I couldn't do half or more than half of what I do, and I want to honor her pu- publicly, um, and that's my wife, Yamali, and she's all the way in the back there, and I, uh, she's just fantastic, and um, I have two kids, 
They're here with me as well. I have a little boy. His name is Josiah, and he's six years old. And I have a little three-year-old named Gabriela, and she's a little diva going on to 23. So I'm still trying to figure her out, um, both of them, but, but, but they're fantastic. Um, as, I, as, uh, as Pastor Tommy mentioned earlier very well, I, he said I'm from Puerto Rico, right? You got to roll that R, <laughs> but it's good. Really from that wonderful island. My father's Italian-American and my mother is full-blown Puerto Rican. And um, the reason uh, I have a very weird last name growing up in Puerto Rico was a little bit uh, difficult to grow up with it because it's an Italian last name. But it just so happens that if you use, you know, when you say the last name in the island, Esposito, it goes Esposito, which means little husband. And um, so I got into a lot of situations trying to get people not to push me around with that last name. But I'm very proud of that last name. I'm very happy about what I have. So that's, that's a good thing. Um, and uh, I, uh, I, I, had, I had the blessing to, uh, to be there until I was 21 years old in the island. At the age of 21, the Lord uh, called me to become a missionary with an organization called YWAM, or Youth with a Mission. And I uh, had the blessing to be able to travel to a lot of wonderful places. And that's a little bit about what, what I want to share with you in terms of story. I want this morning to just share with you a little bit about um, what God has uh, done in my life and what God wants to do in our lives as a whole. So um, we're going with the book of Ephesians on this one. And before we actually delve into the scripture, I want to make sure that we make the most of our time because I want to be able to kind of contextualize it. Uh, the book of Ephesians or the letter to the Ephesians is one of my favorite in the Bible. And um, the reason, uh, well, to give you a little bit of background, uh, the, the letter to the Ephesians is considered a prison letter, meaning a letter that was written from prison to, uh, to a certain group of people. Um, it is uh, widely believed that it was written by Paul, but, uh, the apostle, but you have different schools of thought on it. Some people believe that Paul wrote that letter, then he sent that out. Some people believe that he actually gave the framework, he gave the notes on it, and then somebody went out there and just kind of filled in a little bit and kind of fleshed it out. And then some people believe that he actually didn't write it. And um, uh, the contingency that doesn't is because letters that were written by Paul usually were very were a little, not very, but were a bit different to this one. Because usually the letters that were written by Paul to churches or people in different areas in Corinth, Galatia, whatever the case may have been, um, were dealing with problems that these places had. And um, like, you shouldn't be sleeping with your, uh, with your father's wife, or you shouldn't be stealing from, uh, from the offering. So there, there usually was a component of correction in these letters. The interesting thing about the letter to the Ephesians, or that this epistle, um, is that it has, it, it's, um, I liken it to a crescendo, to a symphony of sorts, where from the very beginning, you're seeing everything about our lives without Christ and how we don't have what we, you know, how we don't have it all together. And then it just kind of celebrates the fact that we have been redeemed, that we have been saved, and that now we have a plan. Now that our eyes are open, now we can walk in the understanding of that plan and we can walk in the blessing of community. And not just for the sake of just kind of high-fiving each other, just because we want to high-five each other, but namely because we want to go out and make an impact for the kingdom in our society. And um, so that's a little bit of a, of a backdrop for the book of, uh, for the letter to the Ephesians. So I want to be able to kind of 
break it down. On the, I'm going to focus primarily on verse 10. But before we do that, I want to be able to kind of give you even some more context to this wonderful scripture uh, or verse that you find in verse 10. So I'm going to go through it real quick and, and make a couple of stops so we can unpack it. Um, it says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So this specific uh, Part of the passage um, or, or, or the context herein, you will find a lot of, a lot of mentions, uh, a lot of mentioning about death and life. And it happens consistently, death and life, from death to life and death to life. And you see, you hear a lot about that. And um, it starts from, one, from verse 1 to verse 3 with the impetus for us to understand. It's almost like a pleading. Listen, we were dead in our trespasses. We didn't want to do things right. We didn't want to be close to God. We wanted to do things our own way. And you see that in those first three verses. Now, in verse 4 on, you kind of see a little change here. And it kind of goes with that uh, uh, verse 4, but God, right? And it's, it's, it, I almost kind of liken it to this sigh of like, you know, uh, you have this moment of you don't have it all together. You don't deserve what you have. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us with, which is unimaginable. We just won't be able to fully grasp or comprehend. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk with them. Now, um, I'd like like for you to kind of join me here uh, for uh, for a moment and, and try to... To grasp now, I know that this this contextually is hundreds of years old, and uh, and we live in a culture that is very removed from uh, from the culture that was receiving this letter. But one thing I want you to try to conceptually understand about uh, this letter and the people that were reading it is that the concepts of death and life were very real to them. Okay, they were very 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 real to them, and it meant a lot. To be alive and to be alive in community and to be alive in family meant the world, okay, to people in this, in, in this time. And when you have a scripture that says that you were dead in your trespasses, you made us, well, we were made alive together in Christ, that was huge to the people that were reading this. Wait, wait a second. I was dead in wanting to do my own thing. I didn't want to be with God. Everybody, everybody agreed with that. It says, but you were made alive in Christ by grace. Now, grace, the meaning of grace and was understood to the people reading this was um, as, as, as in something, as a gift that was given out of season and out of time, okay? I don't know if you've ever received a gift that has nothing to do with uh, Christmas um, or has nothing to do with uh, a birthday. Also, somebody gives you a gift for no reason. The first thing that we by nature do in this, in this particular culture is 
we're suspect as to what is meant by that. What do you mean by that? And um, we're always looking at it like, is there an angle to this? But when we're when, when this scripture is saying you were given this life, you were given this life by grace, you did not deserve it. It was not something that you were particularly looking for, but it was something that was just given to you. You didn't deserve it at all. So that in the coming ages, you may know the immeasurable uh, kindness towards us in Christ because you matter. Death to life. Death to life. Now, I understand that probably this concept is still like, okay, I get it. I mean, they, they, were, they were taken aback by the fact that they were dead, uh, and then all of a sudden they're alive, and they're given a gift out of season and out of time. Let me try, let me try to break this down for you a little bit. Um, I, in the years that I spent as a, as a missionary, I had the chance to be able to uh, be blessed by so many people. I learned from so many people, and I was able to serve in different ways in different countries. Um, but I spent a lot of time with people from Polynesia, um, and I spent and I learned a lot of things from people in Polynesia. Some of my some of my best friends were from a from a place called Aotearoa. Okay, and Aotearoa means the land of the long white cloud. Okay, and, it, and um, if we go to the next one, I just want to show you something real quick. And I learned a lot from these different friends I had in Polynesia and India and all that, that our stories were not all that different. That we had certain things that brought us together. And in this scripture, when you look at, the, um, when you look at, you look at Ephesians, it is a very, the push is for us to begin to think or for the reader to begin to think in terms of community. You were lost, but you were received again. You were brought to life and you were brought to life so that you could fulfill what you were been called to do, but also fulfill it in community. It's no longer meant to be just your thing. It's not just about your story. It's about our story in community. And I was amazed with a lot of the people that I walk with. Namely, I want to bring up the example of the people from New Zealand because we couldn't have been more different. But I saw a lot of things that we held that were similar. And it was through my friends in Aotearoa, uh, which you may know as New Zealand, that I understood a lot more about the scripture. Now, let's go to the next one. I want to share with you what I learned from my friends in New Zealand that meant a lot. I learned a lot about the Tangata Fenua. Now, that's probably really weird, and you may not have heard of that, but the host people of New Zealand or Aotearoa are called the Maori. The Maori people are all about celebrating the Tangata Whenua. The the definition of Tangata Whenua is people of the land. If you go to New Zealand, then you will find that the way they look at life is they look at it in terms of community. We cannot exist, we will not exist, unless we exist with those who are a part of our canoe. Okay, they look at life in terms of canoes. And if you are not a part of the canoe of the Tangata Fenua, the Maori people will find ways to welcome you into that whole experience. You are my people. You are a part of my land. They are so committed to the concept of life and not death that even in their greeting, they, they actually say kia ora. And where they're welcoming you and they build a friendship with you, the Maori people will not just say, hey, I'm your friend, kia ora. They probably will start by saying, titiro ki te anga toa kiki, i te tumanako, mai amete ngā kawiti, wai tohua ki ahi koi haere, i roto te marama. And that's probably how they do. Now, not probably, that's how they do it. Now that sounds really weird and we are not used to that type of thing here. But that is actually the honor. That is the, the actual, uh, the creed of honor into welcoming someone into the Tangata Fenua, into the people of the land, and to you are part of my canoe. Kia ora, 
meaning you are now a part of my family. We are bonded together by one creator. We are now a part of one marai. The marai was, is the place where the Maori gather together. And they gather together with intergenerational um, uh, groups. You have, and, and no one is more important than the other. The old, the elder, all the way to the child has a voice within the marai or the gathering uh, a place. It is all about, it's all about celebrating life. The, the Maoris are also known for uh, hakas, and there's a very popular haka that the Maoris have. I don't know if you're familiar with the All Blacks and rugby, um, but they're very well known for their haka, kamate. Okay, kamate means death. Kiaora means life. So if you look at the haka, it's like kamate, kamate, kiaora, kiaora. So it's all about, I was dead, I was dead, I was dead, but now I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. They are consumed by the concept of we are together and we are alive, and I don't want to miss a moment. I don't want to miss your breath. They are so committed to that that they not only say, Come, be a part of my marae, be a part of my people, be a part of my canoe, be alive with me. They actually take it a step further through some through a practice called the hungi. I'm going to show you in the next one here. That is what a hungi looks like for the Maori people. And I did many of these, and it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just fantastic. The reason it's fantastic is because it takes the concept of kiaora, life, to a whole new level. It's not just putting forehead together, forehead for forehead. It's not just putting nose with nose together. It's about the exchange of breath. When a Maori welcomes you into his marae, into his place of gathering, he says, I am welcoming you into my canoe. I'm welcoming you into my life. I, because living in obscurity, living away from that community is death. And we don't want that. Come together. And then they say, Kia ora, and then they welcome you with that hungi, which is, now let us do life together. Have my breath, and I take your breath. And now we are committed to one another with our hungi. Now, it is, this is the best example I can give you for contextually what that scripture is talking about in essence. It's talking about, I was dead in my transgressions. I was away from Amarai. I did not belong to the Tangata Fenua. I was not a part of a canoe. I was lost and I didn't deserve to be a part of a canoe because I was not seeking it out. But yet, the Kaya or the leader of our tribe, the Christ, he came in and said, I not only will bring you in and give you life that you don't deserve, but I will give you my breath. I will hungi with you. I will have I will have kia ora with you. That's what that scripture is talking about. Jesus died for us to be able to have that moment with us. And to be able to not just have it with us, but have it in community as well. Now let's go to the next one here. Uh, now let me, let me go into verse 10 and kind of, now that I've provided you with some context, kind of uh, help you understand what's so wonderful about the scripture. See, after we have come to understand that we are no longer dead, but now we are kiaora, we are alive, now we are part of a marai, we're a part of a family, we're a part of our community, and that we cannot exist without one another, it would be less than optimal to do so, then we're able to understand the beauty of this verse, because it is a response to that reality. It says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do so why why be a people 
that belong to Christ. Why be a part of that canoe of God? It's because you are a work of art. Workmanship in Greek is poema, and it denotes something that has been made as a work of art or a masterpiece. Something that has been made meticulously well. Something that looks good and matters because it just matters. When we speak about workmanship, we are God's making Okay, He made us. He came. He lived. He created us. He died for us. And he came back because we are his work of art. He takes pride in you. He wants you to look a certain way. We are God's portraits. Okay, And we are well made. We are good. We're good that way. right? So workmanship. Keep that in mind. There's, God took time to make us a certain way. To look like we belong to, supposed to belong. So let's go to the next one so I can uh, build on that. Now, we are well. He made us to be an epic. Now, again, I'm from Puerto Rico, so I'm not, uh, I didn't begin to get familiar with the epics and, uh, and the sonnets and stuff like that until I moved here to the States. But I grew up learning um, our epics in Latino cultures are like Don Quixote, Isla Herrera, Marianela, and those type of things. And I, and I learned to really grow to love all of those stories and the epics. Um, and when the Bible speaks about us being as workmanship, it speaks about us being a work of art, something that is worth reading, something that is beautiful beautifully made and when i think of that i think about an epic and a, de- a definition of epic is a literary literary or dramatic composition that resembles an extended narrative poem celebrating heroic feats or surpassing the usual or ordinary particularly in scope or size you were made to be in technicolor cinemascope i don't know i like cinemascope type of stuff so I mean, you were made to be big right hd god made you to matter he gave you he made you with a story in mind not just for you but a story that's meant to be lived out in community now the making is not the only thing that god uh that god highlights through the scripture about us being his making and his works of art the next thing i want to highlight is what comes after that if we can go to the next slide please this for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to good to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do so we are God's making created in Christ so we talk about being created we're talking about a work only God can do God is the only true blue creator and the best way I can explain this concept is that we were made by God and we were made by God as a trace he didn't trace us now there's billions of people that have been created by God that have gone through the span of time now what that means is created in Christ Jesus for good works is that let's say that you were you know 675 billion human being creation of God God doesn't reach back into the archives of let me try to go and look at 355,000 million whatever person they'll never know they're dead so I'm going to trace them so that they look a certain way God doesn't do that Bible says that he created us every single one of us is unique in the way we are made workmanship and in what is expected in our purpose if we do not accept or we do not assimilate that reality then the results are catastrophic for you and your marai, and your community, and your tangata fenua, your people. Because you will never be realized, and then it could affect us as a community, never seeing you being realized as a creation of God. He made you uniquely with a purpose and a plan. Let me give you another example that probably will, uh, or that should 
hopefully bring this home. Let's go to the next one. Um, I, uh, I work in business development, and uh, needless to say, that one, one of my clients is uh, British Petroleum, and I've uh, held a, a, relationship, a professional relationship with British Petroleum for many years. Now, um, there was a situation that you probably were very familiar with, with British Petroleum on um, that happened a couple of years ago or so. Um, if we go to the next one, uh, with the, the Deepwater Horizon rig, right? And you may have heard about the, the rig exploding in the Gulf of Mexico. And, um, and billions upon billions of dollars were, uh, were spent in the effort. And we are still feeling the repercussions of it. Pastor Tommy actually shared with me, I didn't know this, that it happened on Earth Day. So, I mean, so, I mean, how, I mean how bad publicity is this for BP? I mean, it not only explodes, but it happens on Earth Day. You know, so all of this debacle happened. Now, let me give you some context for this. Um, uh, I, part of what I uh, did for BP was I provided a, a training and, and education for a lot, of the, um, a lot of the employees. And I primarily work with a methodology called Lean Six Sigma, which is all about process improvement. So we helped them improve the process, make sure that they were more effective and efficient. Clearly, it didn't work very well with, with, with this, but, um, but that's what we did. And when I, I, I had conversations with a point of contact regularly, uh, Steve Carboy over in Prudhoe Bay in Alaska. That's where he was located. And uh, one day, he just stopped communicating. Obviously, uh, we chalked it up to, well, he's pretty busy taking care of this problem. And um, uh, literally, like a year or so passed, and, and I was able to officially connect with Steve. And uh, we were like, wow, you know, Steve, how's it going? And, you know, how do you open a conversation after they've spent billions of dollars in recovery? You don't really, you know, you, you don't know if you make a joke with it or not. But, you know, <laughs> okay, great. You're going to buy some more education? Well, really? So, I mean, so I had that little moment with him. And, you know, we kind of laughed a little bit. But, um, but then I asked him, the, you know, the, the million-dollar question. Hey, Steve, what, what, what really happened over there at the rig? And uh, he proceeded to talk to me about this one thing that caused it all. Now, you may have heard a little bit about it in the news if you were, like, geekishly following it, as I was. But, but he, he, he just added so much to it. So let's go to the next one. Let me show you what caused it. It was called a blowout preventer. And if any of you are familiar with drilling or the tools that are used to be able to get some of these things done, a blowout preventer is crucial in any oil rig. Now, these things may look small here, but this specific one is 50 feet tall, okay? So I'm talking about building size. Now, these things go into the ocean floor, and they actually uh, they get put on the ocean floor to start drilling into the ocean floor. Now, these things are massive. They're controlled by electrical, fiber optic, and hydraulic networks. It's all electronic, and it all goes up to different types of... Um, uh, the systems that they have can actually make sure they're controlling different pieces of this uh, blowout preventer or BOP or BOP as they call them, right? Now, they have these massive pistons, right? So because when you're drilling miles under the ocean floor and you're dealing with all of this oil that's, that's compacted and constricted, if something goes wrong, then you're talking about force of tons of crude oil coming at faster than, than the rate of four freight trains full force, Okay, so a blowout preventer with all these massive pistons, the objective is to be able to stop, again, that prevent a blowout. Now, this, that's the only thing it's designed for. That's it. It's this huge apparatus is meant, its only purpose, its unique purpose is to be able to control the temperature control rates and make sure that nothing blows out. 
What ended up happening in this particular situation and scenario is that this blow-up preventer had not been serviced and not been checked for what it was supposed to be checked for. Regardless, when they tried to stop all of this crude oil coming up, like massively, the massive pistons were not locking in. They were not even budging. They were not doing anything. And the more they tried, they spent a couple of days trying to verify what's going on. Nothing was working. They came to the conclusion that the blowout preventer was useless. What it was designed to do, it did not do. And the catastrophe that it brought about not only affected BP, but it affected wildlife. I mean, it affected um, ocean life. It affected people's jobs. It affected, as you know, many things. Because one thing was not doing what it was supposed to do. One of the interesting things about it, and I'm almost done with this particular example, was that they actually, uh, they actually thought about bringing an additional pro-op preventer to be put on top of that blow-up preventer so that it would do what it was supposed to do. So they had to bring something else that was doing what it was supposed to do to be able to get the flow to stop. Now, granted, they were able to kind of slow it down, but make no mistake, we're still be- feeling the effects of it. Now, how is this related to what I just said? We are God's workmanship. We are made in Christ, but we are created without, I mean, we're not a trace, right? We're not some type of copy. You were uniquely designed to do that, okay? You have massive pistons that were built into you that will allow you to be able to drill into specific things to not do what you were uniquely purposed to do or designed to do is to be able to stop you from growing and understanding what God has wanted for you from the beginning, but also is what ends up happening is you end up stopping the flow for the community as well. God wants you to know that you are made, you are a masterpiece, that you are to look that way, but you're also meant to do some specific things for yourself and for others in community. And let's go to the next one here real quick. Um, last one I want to share about. It's, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, okay? So God made us. He made us, and he made us in mind. He made us as an epic. He has an amazing story, an amazing arc. He said, I want you to know that you are made wonderfully. And he says, you were created. There's no copy of you. You, were, you have a unique purpose. And all of this has been designed by God in these unique purposes because he, from the beginning, has wanted you to live as he intended for you to live. See, if you study philosophy, there's a branch in philosophy called ontology, and the whole thing about this big word is the following, is the study of being. All philosophers do day and night is try to understand the essence behind the essence of what makes something what it is. This scripture is telling us, in essence, it's, it's, it's really a, a, a microcosm of a look into who we are. God is saying to us, I made you. I made you to be a part of my tangata. I took all of, the, I, I took all of those steps to bring you into this canoe, to give you life, to celebrate the life of it. And you have a place, you have a part in this canoe, in this marai, in this life, okay? And I, de- I designed it in advance because I wanted us to be together. I want your breath to be felt. I want you to walk with me and not just do things. You see, if we understand the meaning of being made as a masterpiece in the journey and the story that we are called for, and then we step into understanding what, what we are called to do, 
then it's easy to walk as we are intended, to live as we are intended to live. It's easy to walk and welcome others into this experience and journey. From the beginning, God had this in mind. So with all of that in mind, if I were to kind of break down the scripture into what God intended or what the author is intending for us to understand through it. Let's go to the next one so we can read it. For we are God's epic poem created in Christ Jesus to do the unimaginable, unimaginable to us because we don't know, we cannot fathom God's thoughts. We don't understand how far they will go. We're exchanging breath with the Almighty, by the way, right? which God prepared from the beginning for us to do. God's intention at the end of the day in saving us and redeeming us was to bring us close, letting us know you're beautiful. You're the best. You are my well-made. You are my live epic. And you are uniquely designed to walk with me so that we can walk together hand in hand in a canoe, in this marae. So in summary, if I were to ask you, hope that you would remember something. Let's go to the next one. I would want you to remember these three things. Is that you're a work of art, a masterpiece, that you have a unique purpose designed to live as he intended for you to live. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much this wonderful morning because it has always been your intent. It has always been your heart to be able to have us live in that marai. You have always wanted us to live in that in that exchange of breath. You have always wanted us to be all tight in your canoe. You've always wanted us to rub shoulders together and to celebrate that the greatness of the uniqueness of who we are and accomplishing the purpose you have called us to, it all exists within purpose. This is our story. This is our tangata fenua. This is our people. This is you are our kaya, our leader. Help us, God, not to forget the beauty and the blessing of living as your workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works in advance to live as we intended, as you intended, I should say. In Jesus' name, amen. Every week uh, we respond to the word of God and to the worship uh, with communion, and uh, we end every gathering like this. And so... Um, our communion servers, you guys can go ahead and, uh, and, and prepare for our time of communion. A um, little explanation of what it is. It's just simple things. It's bread and it's wine. It's communion. One of the meanings of that is common. It's just common things that God has given us to be reminded um, of what he did for us, of what reconciles us to our Father, of what makes us whole again, of what brings us salvation and new life. And so we pause every time we gather to... Remember Jesus and what he did for us. We take some time in prayer and repentance. If you need um, some deeper in-depth prayer, right through these doors on the left, there's a prayer room and there should be somebody there to pray with you. Um, And we take some time in repentance and we come on up and take a piece of bread. We rip it off. The bread symbolizes the body of Christ broken for us. The wine symbolizes the blood of Christ spilled for us. We take a piece of bread, we dip it in the wine and we eat it to remember what Jesus uh, suffered and went through for us remembering that it is because of his suffering that we find new life through his resurrection. And so um, if you are struggling with some pain, some suffering this morning, something that you are going through in your life, emotional pain or physical pain, just a trying time, we need to remember that it is through the suffering of Jesus that 
our resurrection is made possible. Things can be fixed. Things can be made whole again. And, uh, and we trust that Jesus can do that for us. So take some time in prayer and uh, go ahead and take communion whenever you want.